tonight the killers that live among us and no one even knew on Newsworthy with two words and two question marks. scoured the podcast world and finally found us newsworthy with steve and jerry where we delve into all things mysterious macabre or out of this world and decide if they are truly newsworthy two words and two question marks why should you work with ed Locke? A better question is, why wouldn't you work with him? He is a proud to support an amazing lender, USA Mortgage. When you work with them, you can expect a home financing experience that is free of hassles and headaches. They have complete control over your loan due to in-house operations such as processing, underwriting, closing, and funding. USA Mortgage represents a lot of fantastic things but they are especially thrilled to partner in several community outreach programs, including Habitat for Humanity, Home Sweet Home, Veterans Community Project, and many, many more. They love going to work every day, which means they love working for you. Ed wants to be your lender for life, so reach out to him today and get the journey started. If you would like more information, please reach out to Edlock at area code 502 NMLS 448-908, USA Mortgage NMLS 227-262. USA Mortgage is an equal housing lender. This is not a commitment to lend. Additional terms and conditions may apply. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Hello, Mr. Jerry. Hello, Steve. I am sad faced today. You are. Surely I am. Not. Why yeah. is that? We don't have our buddy Brett with us yeah. this week. He has said that he absolutely loved doing it, and he's in Florida for a couple of weeks. But he said he's going to stop stopping by whenever he can on Wednesday. Oh, so the we, life! Between absolutely. him taking a couple of weeks in Florida, Ed Locks got a Florida home. What are we missing? Don't, out? What are don't, we don't not, even. Don't even. Not don't even right. go there. Don't even go there, Mister. You, you and your wife are going where this weekend? Mexico. Exactly. Leaving for a cruise. <laughs> so I don't want to hear it. Uh, well, but we're just going for a week. Living out. Is Brett on vacation? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if it was work vacation or what. No, him and the, the wife and the kids have been on vacation. After I thought about it, I was surprised because she's a teacher. School just started back, so I was surprised if they were taking vacation at this time of the year. I don't know if she's even gone back yet. Since the birth of the babe. That's true. So that maybe that's it. what they're going right could before that be. happens. Because I would think it would be unusual for a teacher to start school ah. three, four weeks later, go on a two-week vacation. Right. So, yeah, you're probably right. Um, anyway, we certainly hope Brett can uh, be back with us. Yeah, that was fun times. I enjoyed Absolutely. it. I couldn't speak very good, so um, much better now. Um, That's good to we hear. got a couple of things yet to go, uh, procedures coming up in November, 
hopefully we can make the show flow well with without my voice. <laughs> but uh, you know, we'll cross those bridges when we get there. That's not possible. It won't flow well without you. But you may scrape by, but I definitely I just want to say again thank you to Brett for stepping up and helping us out when we need it. So, Absolutely. Uh, that's awesome. Awesome sauce. So, uh, Jerry, how have you been? I'm going to go shut these dogs up here in a second. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> Ramona just absolutely wants to be a part of the show today. I keep telling Steve to just ignore them because no matter what he does, they, they'll be quiet for a couple minutes, but then they, if anything, that seems to get them wound up even more. But no, I've uh, I've been great. Can't complain. Good deal. Doing well. So... Jerry, I got yes. a, I got a, I, I'm, I'm, I've got a bad thing going on. A bad thing, really? Yeah. My That's girlfriend it. wants me to do her hair like a Rastafarian. Your girlfriend? I can imagine you do have a bad thing once yeah. your wife hears about this. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, well, I'm just dreading it. Oh, <laughs> you don't say. Surely not the dreaded dreads. <laughs> Surely not. Say it ain't. Listen. So. My hair is as long as it has ever been. True you're story. You're thinking about putting it in dreads? Well, I'm, I'm going to Mexico. Okay, I am going know. to the Caribbean this week. So go. maybe maybe I'll come back with some. Nah, maybe not. The first time I was in Bahamas or Bermuda, I think it's Bahamas, I'm not sure, with my daughter, paid one of those ladies on the beach to put her hair in dreadlocks. She freaking loved it. She absolutely loved it. Yeah, I don't know if you'd heard, but the uh, the oldest man in town had a birthday. He turned 100 this week. Really? Yeah. Local TV crew showed up, and they wanted to do an interview. What did they say? Well, they said they wanted to do an interview. I mean, what, were you, what did you let them do the interview with you? Well, hold on, hold on. You're, you're <laughs> off track a little bit. Let me see if I can get you back on the rails here. He told them he would have to get his father's approval to do the interview. Oh, I know. They said, your father's alive? That's what they asked. And he said, yeah. But he just left to go fishing with Grandpa. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of old. <laughs> a lot of old. Huh? Yeah. That's a lot of old right there now. <laughs> so, can you tell them what you're drinking? Uh, we're doing it. Let we're me tell it. them while you're just open that door. That'd okay, be fine. Hey, we're doing an old standby today, and it's kind of a good thing. If uh, I, I've been drinking a lot of this barefoot wine here lately, hello, Ramona. Uh, tonight we're drinking barefoot Fruscato. It's a new product by Barefoot. Um, I'm drinking the blueberry um, version of that. It is very good. It is not overly sweet. It has no bitterness. And it is uh, very good. I like it. You can, buy, <coughs> you can pick up Barefoot just about anywhere. So go grab a bottle of the Barefoot, barefoot Fruscato. You do seem to like that. Every time that I remember you drinking it, you always break on it very highly. It's it's just a very inexpensive wine. That it's very flavorful. Um, it doesn't try to overwhelm you with anything. Um, yeah, I think you said that about every time. It's sweet. But not overly sweet. Right, right. And it's really easy to kill a bottle. <laughs> Probably not go. best for the show, but hey, you know. There you go. 
I was so excited this week, Jerry. Do you know why I was so excited? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? I would assume because of the upcoming cruise. Well, there's that, but even better. Even better than a cruise. The only thing better than a cruise that I would know of is you were going to see me before you left. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny, huh? (laughs) Talk about rude. I got a gold pan. A gold pan. Yes, you yes. did. You showed me that. I'm so excited. I thought it was a gold candy dish for Halloween, but no, it's a gold pan. It's a, it's a it's a pan that you use to pan for right. gold. It right. cost me ten bucks on Amazon or whatever. I'm so stoked for that. And Jerry can attest. My our studio is a eclectic, uh, eclectic, eclectic. Uh, hodgepodge of all of my hobbies hobbies, and now i have gold panning to add to that and i can't wait we're going to go up to indiana uh probably gonna hook up with my buddy steph and we're going to go um hopefully soon probably gonna hook up steph you need to go out to her area of the country oh out west west. that's where the real gold panning is going on yeah now kentucky does not have natural gold we don't have the geology here for it but we do have some Gold that has been pushed here from the last ice age. Um, very minimal amounts, nothing. There's no active gold mining in Kentucky. Yeah. But all around us, there's gold all around us. So it's one of those hobbies that when I go visit in Tennessee, I can take my pan. I'm so excited. Sorry. They have much of it in huh? Tennessee. In two places, primarily in Tennessee. Kentucky, Tennessee is kind of not, uh, it, it kind of goes around because there's two plates. Um, the Eastern Shore Plate, um, and that has, you know, the Smokies have a, a granite uh, uh, a granite vein that goes through them. Okay. And when you see granite, typically you have gold. Um, and then everything on the East and South is from what, what they call glacier gold, or gl- gold that's been pushed from the North right. into the South. So. Uh, Georgia has it, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Indiana, all around us. Just not really here. <laughs> we have a few spots, but you know, nothing of that's going to produce any rich money. Is anything east of the Mississippi River comparable to California Gold Rush? No. I, that's what I was thinking. No. I don't remember ever reading in history. No. Ever. There was a small gold rush on Coker Creek in Tennessee. Um, it flattened out really fast. Um, yeah. Two or three people, you know, they got very rich, but it just wasn't a sustained source. It was gold that had been pushed down from the glaciers, so right. it wasn't being produced there. Um, where I used to live in Idaho, there was gold all around. There was an active gold mine there that had j- well wasn't active, but it had just shut down when I moved there. So um, up until you know mid two thousands. It had an active gold mine in the town that I lived in. So, yeah. Uh, you ever watch that show? I forget the name of it. Gold Rush. Gold Rush. Yeah. In Alaska. It's Discovery really Channel, neat. maybe. Yeah, sure. it's really neat. Um, and those are the extreme cases. It's kind of like the the crab boat thing. Yeah. You know, those are the sure. extreme of the extreme. But uh, most places don't operate like that. But you know, it's a good show. Also, on that same vein. Mountain monsters, y'all ought to check it out. It's good stuff. Not all that one. <laughs> Mountain know, monsters. Don't waste your time. It's one okay. of those things that once you start, you're going to get sucked in by the characters. 
or rather I should say the caricatures of the characters. Yep. Um, and it's a whole lot of hooey, but it's a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> oh, okay. Mountain monsters. Time to get serious. We're talking about a really bad guy tonight, Jerry. That we this, are. This is your guy. We were going to do two tonight, um, but we decided to split that up because both of these guys need our full attention. Yep, a little uh, little this, too big to, to split them, we thought. This guy tonight, I feel, if you're not mad as hell at the end of this episode about what a human can do to another human, um, yep. you're, not, you're not ever going to get mad. And maybe a little scared. The other thing that I walked away from it was thinking, how do you know? Right. How do you know that the guy next door, how do you know that the guy down the street, how do you know that the guy that just bumped into you in, in the Walmart checkout line isn't one of these? So that, that was the two thoughts that that I came away with. Yeah, tonight we're going to be talking about a guy by the name of Mac Ray Edwards. Uh, we'll start with Stella Nolan. Stella Nolan was an eight-year-old girl when she went missing, and this was in 1953. And no one knew that she was only the first to die at the hands of her killer. No one knew that there was going to be many more to come up missing and, and turn out to be dead in the next 17 years before he was caught. Jeez. No one knew that it was going to take an unexpected twist of fate for anyone to even know that there was a monster living among us. She was at a flea market refreshment stand. Her parents had a stand there at the flea market, and she went up to the refreshment stand, and she disappeared. 27 years later, Mac Edwards admitted to raping and strangling this eight-year-old child. And that's what she was. She was not a young, at eight years old, you're not a young lady. You're a child. You're a kid. I, I don't even, I can't even begin to comprehend why someone would even want to do such a thing. It's a small, young child. But 27 years later, he admitted to raping and strangling her. And if that wasn't bad enough, he had went into a the forest. It's called the Angeles Forest. He found a bridge, and he dumped her body off the bridge. Ugh. He came back the next day and found that she had dragged herself approximately 100 feet. She was still alive. And he took out his pocket knife and stabbed her to death. And then he, well, we'll get back to a minute what he did with the body. Once again, no one knew that the killer w was the guy next door. Mm. This guy, and we'll post a picture of him on our on 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 the episode. So you can normal looking so he, guy. He looks like a cross between a, a, a pastor that I used to know. And uh, uh, Mike Huckleby, <laughs> a young Mike Huckleby. Yeah, it, it's really a taller, bad. skinnier yeah. Mike Huckleby. Yeah, I can see that. So, like you say, the guy next door. He really was the guy that's out watering his flowers. You know, while you go off to work one day, just not only from looks. We'll get to it in a little bit. But this guy, not as I said, not only looked like the guy next door, but in actions was the guy next door. And it's, I'm sure, a big part of what allowed him to get away with it for so many years. 27 years later, March 6, 1970, a 51-year-old Slymar construction worker 
and a young teenager showed up at a Los Angeles Police Department Foothill Division station. He walked in, he handed the desk sergeant on duty, who was Sergeant George Rock, a pistol. And he told him to be careful. It was loaded, he said. And then he told him that he was there to confess to a kidnapping that morning. He and the 15-year-old male accomplice that was with him had broke into a former neighbor's home, the, the Cohen's. And he found the owner's three young daughters. Jan was 14 years old, Cindy, 13 years old, and 12-year-old Valerie. And he and this young 15-year-old accomplice had loaded these three girls into his camper van, and they drove deep into the Angeles forest. And when they were deep in the forest, he stopped, he pulled out his gun, and he ordered the girls out of the truck. And it was then that the plan went off the rails, because I don't know if they planned it, no one's ever going to know. But all three girls, began to, they, they took off running in different directions. Obviously, there was him and one guy. They started chasing one. They panicked. They they chased one. They turned and chased another. All three girls got away. All three. <laughs> he then told Sergeant Rock that his plans were originally to sexually assault and then kill all three of the girls. That's why they had went and got them. That's why they'd kidnapped them, and that's what they planned to do. But he knew that the girls had recognized him, and he knew the game was up because he was previously their neighbor. He lived a few doors down from them for years. He told the police the general area where he had lost the girls. The police returned to the area. They found all three girls, and they were safely returned to their parents that same morning. <clears throat> when speaking of the girls that he had kidnapped that morning, he made the comment. He said, I'm glad they got away because if not, it would have been nine instead of six. He was talking about how many people he'd killed. He then informs him that there's other things he needs to discuss, and he starts by telling him about the first girl that we mentioned, the eight-year-old Stella Nolan. He'd kidnapped, raped, and then killed her. And after he came back the next day, he found out she was still alive and stabbed her with his pocket knife. He had taken her body to the construction site where he was working and buried her in a dirt embankment. The next morning when he went up, went to work, he fired up the excavator that he worked on for a living. He was a heavy equipment operator. And he proceeded to bury her under the road that they were working on, which is part of the Santa Ana Freeway. The Santa oh. Ana Freeway is a section of Interstate 5 in Southern California. It connects Los Angeles to its southeastern suburbs, including the city of Santa Ana, which is obviously where the name comes from. The search for the missing eight-year-old girl was massive, as you can imagine, when she didn't turn up in the next two or three days. Hundreds and hundreds of people searched the area. Twenty-seven years later, they found out why her body wasn't found. It was under tons and tons of concrete where he buried her. It was three years later before Max had his sights on his 11-year-old sister-in-law, oh. Brenda Howell. You're right. You heard correctly. His sister-in-law. His wife's younger sister that had spent the summer with him, Brenda and a friend, 13-year-old Donna Baker, went for a bike ride on August the 6th of 1956, and neither were ever heard from again. Mac admitted to paying Donald $8 to get Brenda to go on a bike ride with him to the San Gabriel Canyon area. Once there, he had lured Donald away and beat him with a rock until he was unconscious and then slit his throat. 
Then he went back, raped his 11-year-old sister-in-law, 11 years old, and then slit her throat. He later told authorities where that he had disposed of their bodies. They were never found. No one knew where to look. Mm. He took a break, and it wasn't until 12 years later, probably, we think. But he took a break, and it wasn't until 12 years later that he struck again. On November 26 of 1968, he broke into a home intending to assault a young girl that lived there. Again, this is in the neighborhood that he lived. He was familiar with the house. He was familiar with the people. Uh, but the girl wasn't there. It was during the day. Mom and Dad were at work. He knew that. But the little girl, the girl was gone. But her 16-year-old brother was there. His name was Gary Roche. He shot him in the back of the head on the bedroom floor. No one knew that Mac was killing again. It was only a couple of weeks later, on December 16th of 68, when Roger Madison, a 15-year-old boy, that had got into an argument with his father about smoking and had jumped on his motorcycle and rode away, and he was never seen or heard from again. Now, Roger, again, was a neighborhood boy. These are people that he knew. He was friends with Mac's son, went to a classmate, went to school with him. He lived five houses down the street from him and regularly visited the home. Mac later admitted to luring Roger into an orange grove and tricked him into agreeing to be tied up as part of a game. Edward said he then stabbed him to death and buried his body with a bulldozer under the Ventura Freeway in Thousand Oaks, which was under construction at the time. And Edwards was working there at the site. They knew that. His body was never recovered. He couldn't remember exactly where, uh, because, again, it's, you know, quite a while later when he's in It all looks the same. All looks the same. Jeez. But once again, no one even knew that Mac was involved. And we wonder how these, and not to detour from this, but you hear about these stretches of road where drivers will be driving and they'll see somebody and they'll pull over and there's nobody there. How these things happen. This is, there's two right now, just in Southern California, that that could be the case. Yep. I mean, how true. violent? Extremely violent. Absolutely. The following spring, on May 16, 1969, 13-year-old Donald Todd was sent home after he and another boy got suspended for fighting at school. He was never seen alive again. His body was found that same year by two children below a bridge about a mile and a half from his house. He had been sexually abused and shot with a 12 caliber pistol. So he switched from girls to boys with the sexual yeah, stuff. Yeah, he was too. apparently bisexual. Insane. No one knew to even question Mac. Now that was the end of Mac's confession. Six murders, three others kidnapped that he admitted that he planned to rape and then kill. A child serial killer that the police weren't even looking for. None of these cases had ever been connected and were thought to be the work of random people. Mm. They didn't know that they had a a child serial killer doing this. He was charged with three kidnappings, the three girls that got away, and two murders. Donald and Gary, because at that time, they were the only bodies that had been found. Stella's body was found a couple of weeks later, and her murder was added to the charges. During a preliminary hearing that was on March 17th of 1970, Mac tried to plead guilty, but the judge refused to accept his plea. Guilty. I'm guilty, Mac told the court. His lawyer instead insisted that 
he would submit an innocent plea in Mark's behalf or Mac's behalf. To which Mac replied, I don't need a lawyer, I'm guilty. The judge refused to accept the guilty plea and and innocent plea was eventually admitted. Before you go any further, sure. because before we find out how Mr. Mac, first of all, Mac Ray Edwards, if you have any friends that have three names, that's automatic red flag. <laughs> if they go by three names, you should be on the lookout right out of the gate, right? So if they have a middle name, you're no, saying no. they're guilty of something? I have a middle name, but I don't go by all three names. People call me Steve, they say, hey, you, they say, whatever. They do not call me by all three names. That hasn't happened since I was like five and I was True. in trouble, right? But and let me give you, and I don't agree with what you're saying. You and don't? As an example. Would you like some proof? As an example, your oldest son goes by three names. No, he goes not at the same time. I... No, no I you're don't. right. He, some people call him by his first name. Some people call him by his second right. name. Right, but they don't say and it all at once. They don't say Mac Ray. Mac Ray. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. And I don't know that people John did, but Wayne this guy. Gacy. But don't you think that part of that is because if it was some truly unique name, I doubt the middle would be included. Oh, I, I was John just... Wayne. They didn't stick with just John because that's so common that it could be a ton of John Gacy. I'm sure probably are a ton of John Gacy's. But when they say John Wayne and they want to make sure with someone that horrendous, that terrible, that you don't mistake them. Right. You, you, that's usually followed by some horrible, horrific story. So I, I don't know if that's so the case. But if all I'm saying is if there's parents out there who call their child by their first and middle name, does it you, mean you, you grow put up? your kid on the list? Whatever we get, we're watching your child from <laughs> no. here on out. Steven, because that I'm kid, not. that kid is going to hurt puppies and he's going to be a bad person. You know, they do say that he, this guy was known after his death. They did, you know, look back on him and try to figure out, you know, was there signs that we should have looked for? And cruelty to animals is a very well-known yes. indicator of future very violent yes. behavior. Because it shows lack of empathy. If you don't have empathy for animals, something that there's... And we're not talking insects or something like that. No, no, we're talking... When it's kittens and puppies, yeah, you, you might need to get them some help. So before we find out... The end of Mac Ray, because okay. I, I don't want to give that away yet, because he didn't, you know, we, we cover so many of these serial killers who other people and other things happen to them. The one we're covering next week was never found. We don't know right. what happened to him. This one we do. So, and, and we'll talk about that when we get there. I don't want to spoil it uh, for the people who've never heard of Mac Ray. But I, I went to Scientific American, and I wanted to find out some of the facts and fiction from the FBI about serial killers. Okay. A couple of shows, a few shows ago, we talked about how to survive and not be a target of a serial killer. Right. So these are some of the myths that okay. continue to purvey serial killers. When we think serial killers, these are the myths that we think of instantly. Uh, Are you talking about things like 
when they're known by first and no, no, that's not on here. So that's that's a real thing. I'm joking. I had to throw that. Serial killers are all men, and the reality is that's simply not true. Uh, as late as 1998, uh, a, a highly regarded former FBI profiler even said that there's no female serial killers, and that's just not the truth. Um, there are as at least as many female serial killers as there are men. Really? Yeah. Um, Do we catch very many of them? No. Because I don't remember reading about too no. many of them. Oh, it, so the, basically you're just admitting that they're far smarter than us. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I've never denied that women are far smarter than us. You're right. <laughs> um, uh, but seven... Shh. We were supposed to... You remember the man code number one? What? We don't discuss certain things. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Oops. Go ahead. 17% of all serial homicides in the United States are committed by women. 17%. 17%. Imagine that. Uh, myth number two, all serial killers are Caucasian. While that is the, you know, the, the, the thought, because it's very pervasive, Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy. Many um, of them. Many, many, many are. But it, it's, it's kind of like years, you know, last year when we did the whole, uh, when we covered um, um, how the, the prison system was worked. A lot of that has to do with simple numbers. There's a lot more white people than there are in other America. Uh, sure. in America, especially um, than other races. And that's not a. I'm not. That's not a, a. Please don't take that as a. Oh, a holier than thou state. That's not what that is. That's just facts. That's what the numbers say. The numbers say that. So the ones that we see typically come out to be that Caucasian. Contrary to popular mythology, not all serial killers are white. Although we have our fair share of crazy, <laughs> um, that doesn't mean we're all that way. The racial diversity of serial killers generally mirrors that of the overall U.S., which is exactly what we were just talking about. There's well-documented cases of African-American, Latino, Asian-American serial killers. Um, African-Americans comprise the largest racial minority group among serial killers, representing 20% of the total. Significantly, however, only white and normally male, such or such as serial killers, such as Ted Bundy, become the popular icons, which is weird, and I don't know why that is. Um, Eugene Watt, Coral, here's another one, Coral Eugene Watts. That was his name, Coral I, Eugene. I can't try to say that he had a very common name, and they're using exactly. middle name to distinguish. Cor right. Coral Eugene Watts was a black man from Michigan, and he became known as the Sunday Morning Slasher. He killed at least 17 women in Michigan. Here's another one. Anthony Edward Sowell, <laughs> a black man, became known as the Cleveland Strangler, who kidnapped, raped, and murdered 11 women in Ohio. And Rafael Renizdes Ramirez, a Mexican national known as the Railroad Killer killed as many as 15 men and women in Kentucky, Texas, and Illinois. So, um, not all, basically, the, the myth is that all serial killers are white. That's just not true. It's simply that for whatever reason, there's more of them because there's more of them. White people. Exactly. Myth number three 
All serial killers are isolated and dysfunctional loners. Um, generally not the case. In fact, most of the time, serial killers are very social. Um, they're active in church. They're active in social groups. They're active at work. They want to be um, the leader. Um, <laughs> so that's just not true. In fact, I want to throw this out there. I won't mention names. Okay. Because who knows who listens to our podcast. However, I used to work with a guy that if there's not bodies buried somewhere in his basement, <laughs> I would be very concerned. You would be concerned if there were not? <laughs> because I'd want to know where they're actually buried. <laughs> okay. Um, gotcha. It is rumored, and I, I tried to find the empirical evidence in this. I was kind of short, and I couldn't locate it. But I have heard, and this number sticks with me, so we're going to go with it, that at least once in, was it, at least 36 times in a human, adult human United, uh, American citizen, at least 36 times will be at least within arm's reach of a murderer. I remember you saying that before. Yeah. I remember you saying that. It was a month or two ago we were doing a show, and it was on a serial yeah. killer, and you'd done research. So, yeah, you didn't dream that. I remember you talking about that before. Yeah, and I, I didn't have time to relook those numbers up, and I apologize. And once in one, one in 15 people in America will come face-to-face -face at some point, not in necessarily a man versus man agreement, but at some point you will interact. One in 15 Americans will interact with a serial killer. Crazy numbers, right? That's really, really weird. So here's the, here's the bad part of that. Myth number four. All serial murderers travel widely and kill, the inter and kill along the interstate. That's not true. In fact, this is the one place that Silence of the Lambs got it right. Most serial killers hunt, and that's what they're doing, within a specific area close to their home. They, they, they see what they want because they see it on a daily basis. Um, now, there are a few exceptions. That Ted Bundy, up and down the interstate, he was, he, he was the exception. The killer whom we were going to talk about at some point in the future, who was a truck driver and just had a, a drop spot down in the desert. He killed from all over yep. the, the North American area. And probably if he ever were to get caught, maybe the most prolific killer ever. Um, those are the exceptions. Those are not the rule. Most serial killers stay within a well-defined, very comfortable area for where they live. But when you stop and think about it, that really applies to the truck driver. He just had a much bigger <laughs> right. home area. Right, that's true. You know, he, he drives and goes everywhere. That's true. Number five, all serial killers are either mentally ill or evil gen geniuses. Not true. Sometimes they just get lucky. Who was it the other day that we caught, that we talked about that got was almost caught like four times? Yeah. <laughs> 
forget his name now and have to look back as the guy that I covered. Yeah. They just had so many interactions with the police when they just pretty much knew. Even found a girl in the back seat with a big gash in her head. Bleeding profusely. Said he was going to the hospital and he was driving the opposite direction from the hospital. Um, Yeah. Had a girl, the same guy had a girl that went to the police and said he raped me. Yeah. But it happened in a friend's house and his friend was a policeman. And who you know, I'm sure that was related to the fact that it was never investigated. If if a person who became a serial killer had a mental illness, and, and they use in this example, they're using John Wayne Gacy and Dennis Ray, <laughs> the BTK killer, as yep. examples. They knew very much what they were doing was illegal. That's why they covered the crime. That's why he had so many bodies buried in his in his crawl space. He didn't want to get caught. He knew it was illegal. He enjoyed it. Um, uh, David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, he even told his captors tales of satanic rituals and demonic possession Right, and was found to be competent to stand trial. Um, So, you know, these people that, oh, they're just crazy. It's quite the opposite. And back to Mac Ray. If when we show this picture on when we put it on an, online, look at it. This guy literally is your neighbor. Yep. Uh, in the way he behaves, in the way he acts toward his neighbors and his the people around him. Not just his appearance. Not just his appearance. This right. guy could blend into. He could be sitting next to you in a, chew, a, a pew in church. <laughs> and, and did. And did. And did. Okay. So I've cut you off long enough. No, no, no. I just I wanted Absolutely. to bring that Thank in you. there and think because Very I think that's important. It's extremely important. It also goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Two things that I walked away with, and one is a feeling of being a little scared. Yeah, a little vulnerable. This could be the guy next door. This could be the guy behind me in line at Walmart. Yeah, it really could. You just and to think that serial killers have a certain look. You know, you think, we like oh, to think that. I would know because he'll have a stare or he'll look in his eye. It's easier to go to sleep at night thinking that. Yeah. And it's just not the case. This, no. this could be somebody sharing your Thanksgiving table, unfortunately. Absolutely. So anyway, let's get back to Mac Ray. Yeah. He was in court, attempted to plead guilty. The court, and I'm not saying they're wrong, the court insists that people be given a fair trial. There's many cases that end up being overturned because they find out that an attorney didn't do a good enough job representing someone. So you have a right to a fair trial. And the fair trial means that you've got an attorney to represent you. I get all that. But you've got a guy walking into court after he walked into a police station and admitted all of this. The three girls, he knew he was busted. But he could have stopped. He could have said, okay, you know, they were neighbors. I kidnapped them. They were going to turn me in. He could have said he took them for joyride. But he didn't. He said, I was going to rape him. I was going to kill him. Oh, by the way, here are the other six that I've already killed. Uh, Yeah, there's some cases when you just wonder. He said, I quote, I had a guilty conscience. I was afraid I would wreck my excavator. (laughs) And then went on to talk about how much it cost. That it cost $200,000. And talked about how that it would be dangerous, could hurt someone if it turned right. over. So many of his statements were it's... paradoxical. Think about yeah. one. Do you remember what he did when he first went into the police station? Mm-mm. Took out a pistol and handed it to the cop and said, be careful. It's loaded. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, 
What a bizarre individual. He told them that he turned himself in because he had a guilty conscience. He said he'd gotten to the point that he couldn't sleep. He couldn't, uh, he had trouble eating. He had trouble sleeping. Sure, that's why you turn yourself in. It wasn't because of the three women that you kidnapped this morning and they got away. That right, had nothing to right. do with it. But so many statements were paradoxical. We'll talk a little bit of it here in a minute. But this guy, once he was caught, wanted to die. He did not want a fair trial. He wanted to be found guilty, and he wanted the death penalty. He made that extremely obvious. Like I said, so many of the statements here are paradoxical. They just don't make a lot of sense. Do you think, you know, we've, we've been studying these guys now since we we made the conversion. We've studied a lot of serial killers. Do you think that this guy just thought that there was no end had he didn't turn himself in, that he couldn't stop himself. Maybe. Maybe he really was concerned about the policeman's safety when he said, be careful, it's loaded. Uh, maybe he was truly afraid that if he wasn't careful and turned over his excavator that it could hurt someone. But if you truly feel that way, how can you do the things kill, you did? Rape and kill your 11-year-old sister-in-law. It blows me away. It does on every level. And here's, here's now this guy, obviously, because of these things, is having some sort of mental issues. Issues. Now, we just said that it's not always the case, but this guy was struggling, at least in some level, with what he had done. Yes. The guy we're going to talk about next week, there was none of that. At least that came out. That came out. This obviously. guy. For every, if that was had, a teaser, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> if you had asked a hundred of his friends and neighbors for Mac Ray Edwards the day before he turned himself in, they would have said the exact same thing you just said. No, the, 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 this is a nice guy. He doesn't have mental problems. He, he's level-headed. He's calm. He's nice. He and his wife raise horses. They let neighborhood kids ride the horses for free. Mm. They went on many, many camping trips and took neighborhood kids with them. This was the guy, like you said, this is the guy next door. Right. Not only looking that way, but acting that way. Mm -hmm. This is the guy that parents depended upon to give their kids rides to football practice and to bring them home. He was literally the guy next door. Anyway, back to where we were. He told the court, guilty, I'm guilty. After his lawyer insisted that he be entered a guilty plea, he told the court, I don't need a lawyer. I'm guilty. Again. They ended up scheduling his trial for May the 6th, but it was delayed due to Mac's multiple suicide attempts. In prison, awaiting trial, he twice attempted suicide. First time, he slashed his stomach with a razor blade. Then again on May 7th, by taking an overdose of tranquilizers. Makes you wonder, of course, this is, you know, 1970. Things have changed some, but... Why did they have access to enough tranquilizers to <laughs> tip the I don't know. Anyway, his trial finally resumed on May 17th of 1971. Deputy, Deputy District Attorney David Kenner instructed the jury, if there ever was a case that cried out for the imposition of the death penalty, this is the case. The Which is what he wanted. Yeah. This <laughs> defendant, he said, has forfeited whatever right a person has to live in this society. Mack agreed and begged for the death penalty since he allegedly wanted to pay the ultimate price for his crime and was willing to trade places with the next man in line for the electric chair. He had this to say, 
My attorney got a bit a bit mixed up and pleaded for my life. I want the chair. That's what I've always wanted. I told them that when I went to the police station. They didn't tell you that in court. This was sadistic to bring these parents and other witnesses down here and put them through this. End quote. <laughs> that was his own statement at his own sentencing. Jeez. Sentencing was scheduled for June 5th of the same year, and he got his wish. He was sentenced to death. At least he got part of his wish. He was sentenced to death in a gas chamber. He was transferred to San Quentin State Prison on June 11th, 1970, where he occupied a cell next to Mr. Charles Manson himself. Jeez. Now, while in prison awaiting his execution, he told a prison guard that he didn't just kill six people. He said that the actual number is around 18. Now, his story is repeated several times to other guards and other inmates. The number varies. It goes between 18 and 22, but he did say repeatedly that there are more bodies. Now, this actually often happens with inmates on death row. It's usually a ploy to put off their execution date, right? Well, they can't kill me if I'm giving them evidence about more unsolved crimes. Well, apparently that wasn't the case for Mr. Mac Ray Edwards trying to put off his execution date. Um, Because on October 30th of 1971, he committed suicide. He hung himself in his jail cell with a TV cord. Now, before that, he was called into court for an inquiry into the allegations that there were more bodies. In court, he denied that there were any more. He told another inmate when he'd come back that he had lied because he said they disparaged him in court. His exact words were, they said mean things about me. <laughs> I wonder Jeez. why anyone would ever have the gall to say oh mean things my about gosh. an admitted killer. Now, Mark Edwards, as we said different times, was able to get away with these crimes for so many years, at least partly because he looked like the guy next door. You can Google him, Mac Ray Edwards. We'll put up the picture on the website. And, and he truly does look like anybody. He, he could be the guy next door. Yeah. He moved to Los Angeles in 41. He joined the Army Corps of Engineers. He served as a combat engineer. He trained in the use of heavy equipment. He married Mary Howell in 46. They kept course, horses and allowed neighborhood kids to ride them. He also took many local children camping. He, his wife, and his two adopted children continued to live in Los Angeles County throughout the 50s and 60s, and he was never even a suspect. Jeez. No one even knew. Insane. I mean, not not him. The process. The Now, this was during the 50s. We don't have, we didn't have the technology we do today. Uh, there, there was no national database to look up criminals there or was DNA, even, DNA didn't exist so a lot of things that cameras you don't have any crimes get solved by cameras everybody and their brothers got a friggin' camera anymore uh so many uh doorbell cameras so many exterior surveillance cameras I used to have one of those when you uh i thought you still did well it's there but it doesn't work anymore. oh gotcha i, I but, got tired of people using it being able to use it for spying on my neighbors Different, different, different topic for a different day. <laughs> oh my goodness. We've had this conversation. You forget what I told you, didn't you? <laughs> there could be ways around it, but I've told you how to go online and turn off access for that. Right. But, uh, yeah. No, <laughs> but, yes, it uh, it's scary that these guys 
literally live among us. So, according to the FBI, as of this year, serial killings now, they say, the FBI says, serial killings account for no more than 1% of all murders in the United States. There's 15,000 murders annually in the United States. Probably most of those are in Chicago. Sorry, Chicago. (laughs) Um, Liberal cities, let's just say. Yeah. And uh, so that means there's about 150 victims every year of serial serial murder in the United States in any given year, um, which, you know what, and the FBI estimates that there are between 25 and 50 serial killers operating in the U.S. at any given time. But like Mr. Mr. Mac Ray here, they take breaks. It's not like, you know, it's, it, most of them, the ones, the big ones, they, they tend to start spying. It's one every year, every five years, every year, and then they start getting. It, it's like an addiction, like they have to. They're trying to feed that next level of high. Except this is with human life. <laughs> it's insane. It, it, it just blows me away. But anyway, so Mac Ray didn't even get justice. He gave it to himself. Gave it to himself. Unbelievable. And you know from. If there's such a thing, from the time point that he walked into the police station, he was very, very remorseful. He acted a way that I think most people wishes that convicted or killers who are caught would. He wasn't trying to put the family through any more pain. He wasn't trying to say, "I, I you know, I'm innocent. I, I, no, he just walked up and said, I'm guilty. I need to die. Yeah. So do you think that in your studies that he did kill the 18 that he claimed? I don't think there's any way of knowing at this point. I, I think that he did. I think 12 it's years possible. is a long time. That's what they, they say. Yeah. They say that it's an exceptionally long time to go, especially when you look at the yeah. others. They, they occurred pretty close together. Yeah. And for a 12-year-old unexplained break, by the way, when you look it up, there's, uh, and I didn't have the list of people, but there is a long list of people that he is specifically suspected of killing. Sure. Uh, again, not that there was direct evidence, but right. with the method of killing the emo well, and all that. It, it's just to me that as the more of these guys that we cover, there is definitely patterns that emerge. Twelve years is a long time to, it is. to, to walk away from. And there's from certainly several other murders in the area within those years that fits the MO to a T. So very, very possibly. Well, that's awesome. Well, not awesome. It it was an awesome job covering Mr. Mac Ray. It's awesome that he's no longer among us. Yeah. Amen. Man, that episode is really interesting. And if you'll stick around for us for just a few commercials, we have another great story to tell you. Hi, this is Ed Locke with USA Mortgage. When it comes to buying a home, the process can be overwhelming and confusing. With so many options, it can be hard to know where to start. That's why it's important to work with a certified mortgage loan originator. I have the knowledge and expertise to guide you through the process and find the best mortgage option for you. I will work with you every step of the way to ensure that you are getting the best deal possible. So if you're looking to purchase or refinance, please reach out to me at 502-680-0953. So don't take on the stress of buying a home alone. Work with me and I will make your dream a reality. 
Trust the professionals and make your home buying experience a positive one. MLS ID 448908, DAS Acquisition Company, LLC, doing business as USA Mortgage, MLS ID 227262. This is not a commitment to lend. Additional terms and conditions apply. USA Mortgage is equal housing opportunity. If you want us to review or rate your product on air, if you have suggestions for new episodes, awesome ghost stories, or anything else, please reach out to us. Our email address is newsworthywithstephenjerry at gmail.com. Our text number is area code 540-709-1318. And now, back to the story. The activate girl was a Nordic bronze-aged girl whose well-preserved remains were discovered outside of Egdevid, Denmark, in 1921. Aged somewhere between 16 and 18 at death, she was slim, 5'3", had short blonde hair and well-trimmed nails. Her burial had been carbon-dated all the way back to 1370 B.C. You're, You're not getting a date with her, Jerry. Sorry. In the coffin... The girl was wrapped in an ox hide. She wore a loose, short tunic with sleeves reaching the elbow. She had bare wrists and wore a short string skirt. She had a bronze bracelet, a woolen belt, and a large decorated disc with spirals and a spike that looked a whole lot like a belt buckle. At her feet were the cremated remains of a child somewhere between five and six years old. By her head was a small birch box that contained an awl, some bronze pins, and a hairnet. Must have been in food service. Before the coffin was closed, she was covered in a blanket and an ox hide, flowering yarrow, excuse me, um, and a bucket of beer made of wheat, honey, bog myrtle, and cowberries were placed on top. Her distinctive outfit, outfit, which caused a sensation when it was unearthed in the 1920s, is the best-preserved example of a style now known common in Northern Europe during the Bronze Age. The good preservation of the Egdavid girl's outfit is due to the acidic bog conditions of the soil, which is a common condition of this locale. You can see her. She's on, she is on display at the Denmark Museum. And Jerry, if you can't see the light, be the light. <laughs>